How we doing tonight, Exchange? Let's go, man. I'm so glad that you are here with us today. Uh, if we haven't met, uh, my name is Mark. I get the privilege and the opportunity uh, to serve as the college and young adult pastor. Help me say a huge welcome to everyone that's here for the first time. Come on, let's put our hands together. We're so glad that you are here. Uh, just so you know, my voice isn't typically like this. I've been trying to get over a little bit of a sickness over the past couple days. But here's what I said today. Forget that sickness. I ain't missing out on tonight. We're going to be in the room. And I'm excited for today because we're kicking off a new collection, a new series called A Life Worth Living. And over the next four weeks, we're going to be journeying through the book of Philippians, the book of Philippians. I'm really excited about this talk. And I know Gabby had said it earlier, but man, if you could, this would just be a blessing. Bring your Bible with you. I, I'm passionate about preaching the Word of God, but here's what I know. When I preach and when I speak from this stage, this is only to set you up for a deeper study, okay? This isn't the buffet. I believe that God wants to speak to you in your personal time. And here's what else you should know. Um, research would actually say 99% of people that take their Bible to church actually make it into heaven quicker than everyone else, okay? So bring your Bible to church with you, and I promise it's going to really speak to you. But not only that, uh, the team's been really, really working hard on putting together a Bible reading plan, and we're going to have a QR code up on the screen right now. But I just want to challenge you, as we go through the book of Philippians here on Tuesday nights, journey alongside of me, journey alongside of us over the next four weeks studying the Word of God, studying the book of Philippians. There's an incredible Bible reading plan that they've put together there for you, and I believe God's going to speak to you right where you are. But today we're going to pick up in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. I'm excited to really go into this series because I love the book of Philippians. I think there's so much richness in the book of Philippians. I believe it gives us so much doctrine. I believe it gives us so much inspiration. It gives us encouragement. And I just want to challenge you to really lean in over the next few weeks. Lean in because I'm believing that God is going to speak to us. I'm believing that God is going to speak to us. And I want to pray for that right now. Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you, Lord, that we can acknowledge that, God, you are here in this place. So, God, as we get ready to jump into your word, God, would you speak to us? Would you open our eyes? Would you open our ears, Lord, to hear from you in a new way that your spirit would come alive within us? We love you, God, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Anyone remember language arts? Anyone remember language arts? Do they even still call it that? They need to come to their senses. It's English, right? It's, it's, it should be called English. I remember in language arts, they used to teach us uh, the five W's. Anyone remember the five W's? Y'all smart, let's go. Who, what, when, where, and why. Who, what, when, where, and why. And I believe... Whenever it comes to reading the Bible, I believe one of the most important things is context. And the five W's, they really point towards context. And as we look at the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, it's important we understand who wrote this book. See, the author of this book is a man by the name of Paul. Paul, he's an apostle. God used this man to help build much of the church. But it's important you understand Saul's story, or excuse me, Paul's story. Because the first time we hear about Paul is... In Acts chapter 9, we hear about a moment where he comes to know Jesus on a road called Damascus. I'd encourage you to study it. It's actually called the radical conversion that we hear about in Scripture. Because before Paul was called Paul, he was actually called Saul. His name was Saul. And how many of you know Saul, he had a body count, okay? Saul, <laughs> pause. 
Saul, he had a body count on his hand. Saul was known to be killing Christians. He was a ringleader where they would persecute and see Christians be thrown into prisons. And Paul, in this moment, he would now have a new identity when he comes to meet Jesus in Acts chapter 9. And in this moment, you hear about his radical conversion. But I think every time we speak about the Apostle Paul, it's only appropriate for us to pause and take a moment to acknowledge what God is speaking to us through this man's life. See, here's a man who went from killing Christians to now building the church of Jesus Christ. I, I don't know how creative you've been with your sins, but I'm pretty sure you have not messed up like Paul. Because the interesting thing about Paul is God transforms this man to now start leading churches throughout many regions. What does that mean for us today? God can transform anyone. I don't know what you've done in your past, but here's what I know. God wants to do something through you in the present. Your past doesn't overlook what God wants to do through you in the present. I don't know what you've done. I don't know who you've done. I don't know what you did last night. But I believe that God wants to work in and through your life. Paul's the author, but it's also important we understand the purpose of this text. What is the purpose of this text? Paul, he's writing this letter to a people in a region called Philippi. And he's writing to the church of Philippi, explaining to them his love and his care for them. He's explaining how he, he loves them and cares for them. It's a brotherly affection. And it's important you understand, 10 years prior to Paul writing this letter, these people came to know Jesus through Paul's ministry. The Bible tells us one day Paul, he's, he's headed, to, or headed out of a place called Bithynia, and he ends up in this place called Philippi. And the Lord actually sent him to Philippi, where he comes across many different people. He starts preaching the gospel, and in that moment, a revival breaks out right there in Philippi. And now here we are 10 years later, and Paul is saying, I love you, church. I'm proud of you. I love seeing and hearing what God is doing in and through you. This was a flourishing church, and Paul, he's writing this letter as an acknowledgment. But not only is it important for us to know who and what is the purpose, but it's also important for us to understand where this is taking place. We've got a map up on the screen. And what we learn when we study the book of Philippians is that Philippi is in a region called Macedonia. The people of Philippi, they're gathered in this place and they're worshiping. They have a flourishing, healthy church. But what's interesting about this is Paul, he's writing while in prison in a place called Rome. And it was said to be that Rome was about 300 plus miles away from this place called Philippi. And what's crazy to me is that from Rome, Paul's hearing about Philippians' faith. Despite the distance, he hears how this church is flourishing, how this church is doing all the things that God would credit righteousness. And lastly, I want to speak to why this book is important for our faith. Why is this book important for our faith? And over the next few weeks, we're going to understand why this book is important for our faith. But for today, what we're going to realize this chapter in chapter 1, the major theme of this chapter is joy. Paul's going to teach us how we can find joy and have joy and live with joy. And in Philippians 1, he goes on speaking about joy numerous times. And I'm going to focus on that theme today, but it's important you understand, maybe you've heard this before, many would call the book of Philippians the happiest book in the Bible. Many people would call it the happiest book in the Bible because Paul, he actually refers to this word joy 16 times in this very short book. So today, as we look at Philippians chapter 1, I, I want to help some of you today restore your joy. 
I want to help some of you in the room today find your joy and restore your joy. I wonder today, do you have joy in your life? Do you have joy in your life? Not happiness. Happiness is a feeling. Joy is a choice. And what we learn in the text is joy can only be found in Jesus. Joy is only found in Jesus. I remember growing up in the church as a kid um, in Sunday school. Our Sunday school teacher, she would oftentimes create this acrostic or this acronym for joy. She would say, joy is first found in Jesus. Joy is first found or secondly found in others. And then you find joy in yourself. Joy is first found in Jesus. And you find joy in seeing what God is doing in others. And then you can find joy by what God is doing in you. And I love that idea because what we see in Paul's life is that is exactly how he finds his joy. He first, my, my three observations are this. Number one, Paul, he finds his joy first in Jesus. He, he finds his joy in Jesus. He finds joy in the fact that God loved him so much that he sent his one and only son who lived the perfect life for 33 years here on this earth. But yet Jesus, he, he humbled himself to the point of death. And he died on a cross for you and for me. He died on a cross for this man named Paul, but Paul didn't necessarily find joy in the cross, not just a cross, but what should have been his cross. Paul finds joy in the fact that Jesus died so he could have freedom for eternity. That's where his joy is coming from. And I just wonder today, if you don't have joy, I would ask you, do you have Jesus? If you don't have joy, if you feel like you're missing joy in your life, I just wonder, have you lost sight of Jesus? Because Jesus is the source of our joy. He's the source of our joy. And Jesus would say in John chapter 15, he says, I have laid down my life for you. I've chosen you so that my joy could be made complete in you. You want joy in your life, friends, you need to look to Jesus. And this is the gospel. The gospel leads us to joy. Why? Because it's a story that says, I once was dead, but now I am alive. I once was lost, but now I am found. I once was blind, but now I see. It's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus. I've got joy because of Jesus. Now, Paul would say this, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 through 6. Let's pick up in the text. <clears throat> Paul says this, Paul, the text is this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Somebody say joy. I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he, meaning Jesus, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I want to stop right here because I love Paul's language in this text. Paul is using language that illustrates he's their big brother. He's like the big brother to the people of Philippi. He's like the big brother to these people in the faith. And it's important we see that this, this, this letter that Paul writes, in fact, I'll just say this, I'll give you some more context. In Roman literature and in Paul's writings, they would typically start their writings with gratitude. They would typically start with thanksgiving. They would typically start in a prayer just like this. It would be customary. But Paul in this moment, he goes a little bit deeper than just sharing 
gratitude. He starts telling them about his brotherly love, his affections for them, how he deeply cares about these people. And Paul says, I was filled with joy. I'm filled with so much love. I'm filled with so much gratitude for you because 10 years ago, I seen where you started, but here you are today and you have exceeded my expectations, Church of Philippi. He's filled with joy because 10 years ago, these people came to know Jesus through Paul's ministry, but now here they are 10 years later, leading the most healthy church in that day and age. See, these people, not only were they being faithful and coming alongside of Paul in the ministry of the gospel, these people, they would put together their money and they would support Paul in his ministry financially. They would help fund the ministry that Paul was set out to do, preaching the gospel from region to region. And these people, they were generous. They were bold in their faith. They partnered with Paul's vision, believing that God would use Paul to do the supernatural. And Paul, he, he commends them. He, he commends their faith. He says, I thank God every time I remember you. And I'm overwhelmed with joy because of how God has been at work through your life. I just want you to see this. Paul was filled with joy because of the boldness in their faith. See, we can, we can clap about that, we can get excited about that, but I just want you to hear me on this exchange because there's something we need to learn from this church. There's something that we must take away from this text because in every other letter that Paul writes, when you read the New Testament, you hear the book of Galatians, Paul, he's writing a letter to the church in Galatia. When you read the book of Ephesians, Paul, he's writing to a church called Ephesus. When you read the book of Romans, Paul, he's writing a letter to a church in Rome. When you read all of these different letters that Paul writes to a church, he starts with gratitude like he did in, in, in the book of Philippians. But how many of you know he transitions into a strong rebuke? He, he starts confronting these churches. He starts calling them out on their sin. He starts calling them out on their bad doctrine. He starts calling them out on their bad lifestyle. But for the church of Philippi, Paul, he starts with gratitude. And he ends with gratitude. Why? Because of the boldness of their faith. Because they were faithful to the gospel. I just want us to take this away from this story today. Just as Paul had been proud of their faith, I believe that as we go about this ministry, as we go about gathering, I want God to be proud of us because of our faith. I don't want you to miss this today. Because as we see that Paul, he's, he's proud of their faith. He's proud of their boldness. He's proud that they are preaching the gospel relentlessly. I pray that God would be filled with joy because we did the same thing. We're not gathering on Tuesday nights for a museum. We're not gathering to sing kumbaya and hear songs and messages. Friends, we are gathering to feel and fill our faith that we may be a movement of God in the city of Tampa Bay. That's why we gather. That's why we do what we do. It's not about us. We got to get the attention off of us and put it onto the world that is in need of Jesus. Tired of being an inward-focused people. Tired of being an inward-focused generation. We need to be an outward-focused people that focus on a broken and lost world. It's about the gospel. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it ought to be a ministry, a movement of faith. We ought to be a people that are set out to see lives transformed and changed by the gospel. So this past weekend, we had our small group leaders gathering. And uh, as we were gathering as a team, I was 
sharing with the team, man, how, how much God has truly done over the past few days. Or excuse me, over the past few years. Over the last year and a half, it's important you know this ministry, we've grown by about 60%. Uh, think about, yeah, amen. Think about last week, 400 people gathered in a room to worship Jesus. I think about, yeah, this past semester, maybe you don't know this, 120 plus people making a decision to step into a relationship with Jesus. Think about all these amazing things that we hear about. Think about all these things that we celebrate. But can I tell you, as a pastor of this ministry, I've got more faith to believe that God is sending 400 more people to this room. I've got more faith to believe that the best days are ahead of this ministry. I've got more faith to believe that 120 plus more people are going to come to know Jesus this year. I've got more faith to believe that our greater days are ahead of us. But friends, we must understand this is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is about the gospel. This ministry is not built on one man's name. This ministry is not built on my name. This is built on the name of Jesus Christ. The second thing I want you to see today is Paul, he was filled with joy because he heard about the people of Philippi's spiritual growth. Paul says this, Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 through 6, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I want you to get this, verse six, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I wanna focus on verse six because I think oftentimes we take this out of context. I just wanna help correct some of us in our doctrine and our understanding of the scripture. It's called hermeneutics. I want to help you with your hermeneutics, how we handle and see God's word. It's important we understand that this word in verse 6, this isn't about God seeing something through that you started. This is about God seeing through things that he started. So many of us today, we, we think about this verse in verse 6, and we go, man, I'm just going to jump into this relationship. I feel like God called me to this relationship. Therefore, I'm trusting that God will see it through. So many of us today, we, we believe this about opportunities. Maybe it's a job, maybe it's something else. We go, man, God must have presented this opportunity. Therefore, I'm trusting that he's going to see it through. I would just be very, very careful and stop trying to attach God to what you want him to move in. Just feel this with my heart today. Because Paul, he's saying, God is faithful to finish what he starts, not what we start. And so many of us, we want to leverage this verse to move God's hand. But Paul, in this moment, it's important you understand, Paul isn't just speaking about circumstances. In fact, he's not speaking about circumstances and situations. He's speaking about salvation. Paul, when he says this, that God started something new in you, it's a reference to salvation. He's saying to the church of Philippi that when you came to know Jesus and when you received Jesus as your Savior, he started a good work in you by sowing a seed called the Holy Spirit in your life. And he says that the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, is supposed to mature us. It's supposed to grow us. It's supposed to transform us. It's supposed to change us and cause us to live and look more like Jesus. Can I teach a little bit? It's a word called sanctification that we use in the church. 
This word sanctification, I know it's a big word, but this word sanctification literally just means that as the Holy Spirit is in me, over time I become more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit transforms me. It shapes me. It changes the way I live. It changes the way I think. It changes what I say. And in turn, I end up looking more like Jesus. Paul, he's speaking about the Holy Spirit at work within these Christians. And my prayer is that as we go through this year, is that we would be a people that are not only filled by the Holy Spirit, but transformed by the Holy Spirit. The joy of my heart is when we encounter the Holy Spirit and when we develop intimacy with the Holy Spirit. And I just want you to know, because I think sometimes we speak about the Holy Spirit. Some of us, we we get a little bit on edge. We, We start getting a little bit uncomfortable. Start asking a little more questions than we do find answers. Some of us were like, what, what is this thing? Is it like a force? Hey, whoa. Start getting a little weirded out by the Holy Spirit, but I just want you to know, the Holy Spirit isn't a principle to be learned. It's a person to be encountered. I heard one of the pastors say that the other day, and that just pricked my heart. The Holy Spirit, it's a person to be encountered daily. We ought to be seeking the Holy Spirit. Do you want clarity for your life? You need to seek the Holy Spirit. Do you want joy in your life? It says this. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you, you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. See, Paul is saying, friends, I want to see you. I long to see you, but I'm trapped in prison here in Rome. Skipping down to verse 12, he says this. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Verse 13, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. I want to say that again. As a result, it has become become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. They become confident. They come to know Jesus. They're now sharing their faith unapologetically. I just want you to understand how peculiar this is, though. This man, he's, he's in Roman imprisonment. He's in chains and stocks. Many of us, when we think about prison, we just get a vision of what prison looks like today. Roman imprisonment in that day and age meant torture and torment, ongoing torment and torture. Not only was this man in in chains, many believe in this era, in this time, Roman imprisonment meant that your body was literally put in stocks. They would literally contort or put your body in ways that your body wasn't created to be put in. Then they would beat you and strip you naked and watch you bleed out. And Paul, in this moment, from this prison cell, he writes saying, I have joy. I still have my joy. These chains aren't taking my joy. This beating is not taking my joy. And I think this should just speak to some of us because I realize even in my own life, it's so easy for us to have joy when the going is good. But how many of you know when it starts getting tough, it feels like your joy is robbed? 
Start feeling like, man, I'm struggling with my joy. I feel like Paul is just trying to lead you to understand despite your circumstances, despite what you're experiencing, don't lose your joy. You gotta choose your joy. You gotta focus on your joy. It makes me laugh though when I think about this because I remember as a kid, my sister's here, she'd probably understand this. Anyone know like, just don't look at the person next to you if it's the person next to you. Anyone know like that person that things could be going terrible, but they're just still so joyful. Like everything around them's falling apart, but filled with joy. Oh, it's gonna be great. Growing up as a kid, this was my mom, okay? My mom uh, loves the Lord so much, and all the time as a kid, I remember my mom would just start rebuking things. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. You won't take my joy. As a kid, I'm like, whoa, whoa, you know? It's <laughs> weird, man. What's so funny about this is so many of us, we, we don't realize how we let little menial things steal our joy, though. On a day-to-day basis, so many of us, we're, we're allowing little, 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 silly things steal our joy. Don't believe me? That person cuts you off in the Starbucks line. Lost your joy. I mean, you know that person in front of you, the drive through ATM, start doing a thousand transactions, homie, you better go inside. Stop going to the gym because how many of you know those guys, they go to the gym and they spend four hours on the bench press. That will steal your joy. Think about this time, a, a couple guys and I, from the exchange, a couple guys, we, we were in Dallas, Texas, and we were doing some ministry over there. Uh, we're at a conference, and I remember uh, the last day of our conference, uh, we had a plan. We were going to go go get some food, and the conference had concluded around 12, and we are like, oh, let's go get some local food and hang out. Well, one of the guys suggested, let's go get some barbecue food, right? Let's go, let's go get some barbecue, and we want the best barbecue. We're in Dallas. Okay. We want the best barbecue. All right. So what happens? We end up driving about 30 miles away from where we were. Our flight was set for 2.50 p.m. It's noon. We leave this place. We're headed to downtown Dallas. As we get to downtown Dallas, what we realize is there's no parking. God bless. So I'm like, hey, just get out of the car and, you know, go over to the restaurant, order the food, and I'll, I'll find parking, and then we'll all link up. And the guys are like, nah, man, we'll just wait. We'll be fine. We've got enough time. No, wor- no worries. No pressure. One of the guys that were with me, they're literally staring at me right now. Anyways. So we all, we all stay in the car. My wife's on the phone with me, and she's like, how's everything going? Oh, babe, it's great. You know, like, we're awesome. We're about to eat some barbecue. She's like, but your, your flight's in like, like two and a half hours, Mark. And I'm like, babe, I know, it's good, it's good. Everything's gonna work out. So we finally find parking. We walk over to the restaurant and uh, as we're walking over to the restaurant, we realize there's a line wrapped around the building of this restaurant. And I go, is it worth it? And then Satan goes, absolutely. So what do I do? And we stand in line, 25 minutes pass by. Finally, we get our food. We're sitting down. At this point in time, it's about 1, 1, 10. And we go, all right, guys. Like guts, like just huge, right? Just feasted. Start like waddling over to our car because we're just so full. We finally get in the car. We're headed to the airport. And then we park. We leave the rental car there. We get on the tram after we check into TSA. And uh, we get through pre-check and all that. There's some complications there that I won't speak about. Anyways, 
Nothing crazy, I promise. We're all Christians. But finally, we're, we're literally, we're on the tram, and I'm freaking out. I'm like, man, we literally got to get on our flight, guys. Like, the flight is going to leave in 20 minutes. And we're flying on Spirit Airlines. How many of you know that's the first mistake, okay? <laughs> like, like, your boy is almost, pro- I, I'm almost sure that the Holy Spirit won't even get on Spirit Airlines, okay? <laughs> like, like, literally, we, 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 we're headed off this tram, and we're like, where on earth are we? And, and this lady overhears us going back and forth, and she's like, you guys were on the wrong tram. You need to get on this tram. You need to head that way. So we get on the tram. We start running. We get off the tram. We're running to our gate. It's like 2.15. It was like 2.16 or something like that. And we were supposed to be on the plane in the gate at 2.15. And the stewardess behind the table, she looks at me, and she looks back down at her computer. I go, ma'am, here's, here's my ticket. She goes, no, I'm sorry, you missed your flight. I go, ma'am, no, like, it's 2.16. We know that we're supposed to be here at 2.15. I'm so sorry. I, I've got to get on this flight back to Tampa. You know, like, I just got a newborn child. My wife just gave birth. And my wife is, like, depending on me to come home to, like, help feed this baby. <laughs> so literally in this moment, what takes place is the lady goes, she looks at me. She goes, well, son, I'm sorry to hear that. I go, but, like, ma'am, like, could you just please just extend some grace? And clearly there was no grace in this woman. But she goes, you know what? Like, my son just had a baby, and I've yet to go see my grandbaby. And I look at the guys, and I go, guys, you better hold me back. The boy about to lose his ordination and his pastoral title up in this joint. Literally, we find a flight, American Airlines, 500 bucks later or something like that, and looking like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, I just feel like I got robbed by by Spirit Airlines, and I was so frustrated, literally all the way back home, and I'm sitting on the flight, and I go, I just let this lady steal my joy. I I let this this lady steal my joy. Man, Mark, you're, you're blessed. You should focus on the fact that you actually had the financial means to jump on another flight. God's provided for you thus far. Why grumble? Why let this steal your joy? And I'm just reminded so many of us today, we're allowing little things to steal our joy. Don't let it rob you of your joy. Don't let your circumstances, don't let your situation rob you of your joy. Why? Because joy is a choice. Some of us today, the practical application of this message is when you wake up in the morning, just need to start speaking joy. Every single morning, my wife knows this, some of my friends and my team know this, I I wake up and I do my quiet time with the Lord, but I have this this little green journal, and every single morning, I spend five minutes just writing three things that I'm grateful for, and I pray and I thank God for those things. Why? It's an exercise for me to work joy into my heart. Some of you maybe just need to take some practical application, start working joy into your heart, working joy into your mind. Because here is this man in chains for preaching the gospel, and he begins to let everyone know he isn't letting these chains break his joy. Instead, he's going to use his joy to break his chains. And as I studied this text, I I couldn't help but think. Chains, when I think about chains, chains are... Sometimes just heavy and awkward. And for many of us, our, our, our chains, it's a picture of our hardship. It's a picture of our struggle. Maybe for you, these chains, they, they represent your suffering. 
They represent some affliction that you're experiencing in your life right now. Maybe for you, these chains, they remind you of that mental struggle that you're walking through right now. Maybe for you, these chains, they remind you of this, this physical struggle that you're dealing with right now. Maybe for you, these chains, they represent a family conflict that you're walking through. Maybe these chains, it represents some, some conflict that you have amongst your family or your relationship, your insecurities. or Maybe it represents some doubt or guilt in your life. So many of us, we, we got these chains and these chains, they, they, they feel like heaviness. They feel awkward. They feel like they're holding me back from the life that God has called me to. These chains, they're overwhelming me, Mark. I feel like I'm just stuck with, with all of these chains in my life. And I just wonder today, when things seem hard, do you realize that you have an opportunity to determine the song that your chains will sing? I don't want you to miss this today. For some of us, Yes, these chains are overwhelming. Yes, these chains are heavy. But can I tell you, don't spend more time focusing on your chains than you do the one that can change and break your chains. Don't miss the point. Don't miss the point. Because in Romans 8, 18, Paul would say, I consider that, that these chains, my, my present sufferings, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. See, Paul's saying the pain you experience on this side of the cross, friends, it pales in comparison to the promise that God has for you on the other side of the cross. The pain, the suffering, the chains that you experience today, it pales in comparison for what God has for you on the other side of the cross. And Paul, he says, in the light of eternity, these chains, this suffering, this hardship that I'm experiencing today, these chains, it's nothing. I've got a future hope. These people, they can keep me locked in chains. They can, they can kill me right here in prison. But I know where I'm headed. And my joy is in Jesus. So that Jesus, he loved me so much that he saved me from my sins so I could get to heaven and never experience hardship, suffering, or pain again. I'm not trapped in chains. I'm experiencing hardship, but I'm not trapped. Some of you today, you just need to reframe the way you see your chains. Because Paul would say in Romans chapter 5, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character, and character, hope. It's important you understand how you respond to your chains reflects what you believe to be true about God. Because either you believe God will break your chains or he'll use your chains. It's important you understand this today. I don't want you to miss this. So how many you realize today, chains, they're, they're loud. And as you walk through a season of struggle, as you find yourself maybe in this point in life where you feel like you're trapped and stuck dealing with chains, I want you to know your chains can sing a song. Your chains can tell a story. Anyone love country music in the room? All right, all right. No, I love, I love country music so much, but one of the things about country music, how many of you know, like, man, it can just be sad. It just be so sorrowful. I think about country music sometimes, man, like, everything just feels so heavy. It feels like a burden, and sometimes it affects my emotions. I just wonder today, are your chains, are they singing a country song or a joyful song? 
Are your chains, are they singing a song of sorrow? Are they singing a song of joy? So even while we find ourselves in these chains, we don't cry, we don't toil, we don't bicker, we don't bicker with God saying, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Woe is me, God, why is this taking place? We say, God, even in the midst of suffering, even while I'm in chains, I'm going to sing a joyful song. I'm passionate about this because this is close to my heart. Some of you today, the practical application is reframe the way you see your chains because God can remove your chains God can use your chains to help you grow, or God can use your chains to help someone else in their faith. This is close to me because many of you know this story, maybe you don't. My sister at the age of seven years old, she was told that there were some irregularities with her kidneys. There were some, some things going on with her kidneys that they couldn't really pinpoint some irregularities there. And at the age of 15, finally, they diagnosed my sister with kidney failure for the first time. And I remember as a little brother, I'm, I'm sitting there going, man, God, like, why are you allowing this to happen to my sister? Like, God, why my sister? God, this is so overwhelming. God, this is discouraging. I remember seeing my sister walk through this difficult season where it very much looked like she was in chains. I remember my sister at 15, 16 years old, because of her, her kidney failure, her kidneys failing at that point in time, she had to withdraw from school and she had to start being homeschooled. And at home, there at home, we had a dialysis machine which she would be connected to for extended amounts of the day. And I remember seeing my sister just kind of feel like she was losing the quality of life, but within her, we all knew that there was joy. We all knew that in that moment she was trusting God would heal her, that God would do what only he could do. And finally at the age of 17, my sister, she got a kidney transplant, praise God, and we thank God for that kidney, but the story didn't end there because about 10 years later from that moment, I remember Michelle and I, we, we'd just gotten back from our honeymoon and maybe not even a week went by and I remember my mom calling me going, son, your sister, she's been admitted into the hospital again and they're saying that her body's rejecting her other kidney. And I remember in that moment, I'm a pastor already, but I'm going, God, why is this happening? Why my sister? I remember Michelle and I, we were there in Miami. That's where we lived at the point in time. My family is here in Tampa. We packed our bags and we jumped in the car. We got here to Tampa. And I remember walking into that hospital room. And in that room on that day, you could just sense the overwhelming presence of God. As we walked into that room, I remember my mom and sister were there. My sister's laying in this hospital bed and my mom is beside her holding her hand and my mom had worship music playing in the room and my mom was speaking life and faith over my sister and my sister was there opening her arms believing that God was gonna heal her and that God was gonna turn this situation around. I remember there she laid in that hospital for a few weeks, but each and every day they started that morning, they started their mornings singing a joyful song unto the Lord. Each and every day they would be praying and speaking life and truth over my sister's situation. And we had gotten news that so many people were moved by what God was doing in that room. Every single time I would go to visit my sister, I myself was so moved by the faith of my sister. Can I tell you the good news today? Here we are three years later and my sister got her second kidney and that girl is better than ever and her story lives on to inspire the faith of many. He's faithful. 
He's faithful. He's faithful. He is faithful. Friends, hear me today. Some of you, you're trapped in chains. Can I tell you, someone needs to see you persevere through your season of struggle. Someone needs to see you suffer well for the sake of Jesus Christ. Your, your chains, they tell a story. No, I'm preaching a little long today, but we don't even have small groups, so that's okay. But as I think about this, this text in Philippians chapter 1, it's important you understand the genesis of what we get in Philippians chapter 1. It first started in Acts chapter 16. Because we hear about Paul and some of his travel companions that were ministering alongside of them. They, they were ministering throughout all of these different regions. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 16 that the Holy Spirit forbid them from going into a specific region. And he sent them to a region called Macedonia. Remember at the beginning of this message, I told you Philippi is actually in Macedonia. And the Holy Spirit sends Paul and his companions to Macedonia. In fact, they send them, the Holy Spirit sends them to Philippi. And the Bible would tell us as they're in Philippi, they're ministering, they're preaching the gospel, they're preaching the good news to many people. But in this moment, what we learn is that there's a slave girl, a young woman, that Paul, he cast a demon out of her. And in turn, her slave masters, they didn't like it. So what did they do? They had Paul and his companions thrown into prison. And as they're thrown in prison, yet again, the Bible says in Acts chapter 16, verse 22, I'm going to skip down to verse 25. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing songs of hymns to God. And the other prisoners that were there, they were listening to them in the room. And suddenly, there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Verse 27, it says, the jailer woke up and when he saw that the prison doors were open and that all the chains were broken, he drew his sword. Why? Because for this Roman officer, for this jailer, this meant death. And in this moment, this Roman officer, he pulls out his sword to kill himself. But from afar, he hears a voice that says, no, put the sword away. We are here. Paul and his travel companions, they emerge into the middle of that prison cell. And the Bible says in that moment, the jailer, he falls on his knees and he says, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to have the joy that you have in your life? And I love Paul's response. He says, you must just believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the son of God and he died for your sins. And can I tell you right there on the prison floor, the Bible tells us right there in that moment that this man and his whole family gave their life to Jesus. The story doesn't end there because this jailer, he went home, he, he cooks a meal for Paul and his travel companions. He encourages them. He says, hey, can you just baptize all of us? He baptizes them right there in that moment. And what we know to be true because this is 10 years prior to Paul writing the letter to the book or to the letter to the church of Philippi, what we know to be true is that these were the same people that started this church. I don't want you to miss this today, friends, because your chains, they've got power. Your chains, they can start a church. Your chains, they tell a great story. 
Your chains could lead someone to faith. Your chains could bring somebody hope. I don't want you to miss this today. We're not the hero in this story. Jesus is the hero in this story. He can use your chains for his glory. He can use his story for your glory. I want you to stand on your feet right now. I don't know what you're walking through. I don't know where you find yourself. I don't, I don't know what chains you're dealing with in your life. But here's what I do know to be true. God sees you. God knows you. He loves you. I want you to know today that you can use your chains or you can allow God to use your chains for his glory. You can allow God to use your chains to help people find freedom, to help people find hope, to help people find healing. Because like we see in this text in Acts chapter 16, the church of Philippi, Paul commends them for their faith. He commends them for their faithfulness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I don't know what that means for us, but here's what I believe. That when I am suffering and when I am in chains, my chains, they can break my joy or my joy can break my chains. I don't know what you're walking through. I don't know what type of pain you have in your life, but I am believing today your story will be used for God's glory. But you got to trust him. You got to believe that he is in control. You got to believe he's sovereign. He's faithful.